Happy Mother's Day. And we want to welcome you today. It's great to connect. And uh, we, first of all, we appreciate moms. We celebrate moms. We honor moms as well. If there's a mom where you're watching, would you go ahead and give mom a hug right now? It doesn't even have to be your mom, but if there's a mom in the room, give mom a huge hug full of love. And mom, I hope you just soak it up. I hope all the moms just enjoy this time. When you really consider the love of a mom and the heart of a mother, uh, there's the compassion and the care that just pours out. And then also the mind. Um, A lot of times multitasking, managing so many details, not to mention processing all the intuitive information as well. And then hands that are serving. Who serves more than mom? And a lot of times people don't see it in moms with countless needs. They just keep serving and serving. There's not always applause, uh, but moms are so faithful. And then spiritually, moms who pray and keep praying and don't give up and are on their knees. Uh, When you think about Jesus, he came to serve and not be served and give his life as a ransom for many. And that's the essence of motherhood, Uh, constantly serving. Not always being served, but serving every day, following Jesus in our daily lives, serving. And so a huge thank you to all the moms from our hearts and uh, lots of prayer, lots of love with Mother's Day. If this is a difficult day for you and maybe there's some pain, we pray that there would be comfort, there would be healing from the Lord, there'd be encouragement as well. And we know it's not always an easy day for everyone. We want to acknowledge that too. Uh, Right now, we are in a series. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. I use the word gospel. It means good news. And the Bible has 66 books. There's four that are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can find that as you go to the right. That's the New Testament. And focusing on the life of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And I can't think of anything more important during this time when we're all, you know, navigating through a pandemic, then to focus on Jesus and who he is and his love and receive from him and look at everything he does, everything he teaches. And this is a powerful, this is a deep teaching in scripture in Luke chapter six. Uh, Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for all your good gifts to us, Lord. And we thank you for our mothers. God, we pray that you would sustain and strengthen every mother today, that you would encourage every mom and that Truly, every mom would know your approval and really uh, that what they do is seen by you, God, and what they do is so significant. There's probably nothing more important on this earth than what a mother does every single day. God, we thank you for our moms. And Jesus, we thank you for the life that you give us, that even in the middle of this virus and all the situations we're thinking about, Jesus, you give us real life that transcends our circumstances. And Jesus, you get the glory But we know this relationship with you is like none other. And Lord, we pray that we would go deeper with you today as we take in your word, as we say yes to you with our life. We commit this to you in your name, Lord. Amen. In the world of branding, in the world of advertising, there's often a product and then there's a greater theme. So think about Harley Davidson. Now what comes to mind? For a lot of people, it's gonna be a motorcycle. And yes, they sell motorcycles. But they also have a motto, which is ride free. And now that speaks to a greater theme than a motorcycle. This phrase, this motto and slogan, ride free, ride free celebrates our liberty to enjoy the freedom of the open road and calls us to explore and discover. So you have some strong words there, a calling, freedom. And now you see in the world of branding how there's often a greater theme. When you read the Bible, there's often things that are happening. And we're going to look at a passage about the Sabbath. 
But there is far more than the Sabbath that's on the line in this passage. There are some greater themes that we don't want to miss. As we look at this passage, we see a theme of freedom in the Lord. You could really bring in kind of a showdown, Jesus versus dead religion. Jesus versus a spirit of religion. When I say a spirit of religion, I'm talking about that which is dead. I'm talking about, let's say, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the church at Sardis. God talks to the church of Sardis and says, you have a reputation for being alive, but I know you're dead. And sometimes people pile in more and more religion, but religion doesn't bring life. It's Jesus who brings life. And Jesus is going to go against the religious leaders who are full of dead religion. And there's a confrontation. And we see here the significance of the Sabbath, but also the connection between the Sabbath and the freedom that's found in the Lord. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, was, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Now, some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what is the Sabbath? As you open up the Bible, you notice in the first book, the book of Genesis, there's creation. Seven days on the seventh day, God rested. He brought a heavenly rhythm, six days of work, one day of rest. And then the next book is Exodus, and we have the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments is to honor the Sabbath. Again, a heavenly rhythm, six days work, one day rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. That's a rhythm from God that's established in the Bible. Now, Jesus is going to affirm the Sabbath. Jesus is also going to explain the Sabbath. And Jesus is going to bring truth. And not everyone wants truth, but he's going to bring powerful truth regarding the Sabbath. The religious leaders at that time had a lot of dead religion. They had a spirit of religion, but they did not want to follow Jesus. In fact, they had 39 categories of forbidden activities. Can you imagine that full list, 39 categories of all the forbidden activities on a Sabbath? Now, before we jump to criticizing them, uh, you know, I've been in church long enough, didn't grow up in church, but I've been in church long enough to know that things can get legalistic, and especially in a few arenas, like what is someone wearing? What does their hair look like? What kind of music are they listening to? What are they eating? You know, there's a lot of things about appearance that turn into legalism very quickly. And the Sadducees, that's what they did. They would take the Bible and then they would add all these additional commandments. Sometimes they were well-intentioned, but there's a bunch of man-made rules and it turned into legalism. Now, there's a historian and a scholar, Alfred Edersheim, and uh, his story is unique. He's Jewish, and then he realized Jesus is Jewish, and Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. So Edersheim put his trust in Jesus and then continued to serve the Lord uh, with his gifts, being a historian. He made some keen observations about the culture at that time. 
He noticed all the rules that were not in the Bible regarding the Sabbath, and then also there were loopholes. For example, it was not allowed to carry the sheaves and to carry the grain on a Sabbath. But you can carry, according to the religious leaders, a spoon on the Sabbath. So here's the loophole. You just take the grain, you take the sheaves, you put it on the spoon, and now because it's okay to carry the spoon, you can carry the sheaves. You can get a picture of the ridiculous religious rules and games that were being played during that time. And it was a bunch of man-made authority and unhealthy power and corruption. Now, there's two restrictions that really stand out for this text. One of them is that you're not allowed to take the head of grain and rub your hands together. That was considered threshing and working on the Sabbath and then eat the grain. That would not be allowed. A second thing that was disallowed was any kind of healing because that was considered work as well. These were forbidden on the Sabbath. Now, again, uh, when you think about work and defining work and our perception of work, we're going to want to jump into a position of judging the religious leaders here, but let's just stop and think about our own lives, our own culture. Because in America, a lot of times, we have a warped sense of what's healthy when it comes to work. We have a lot of workaholics. We have a lot of people who are trying to find their identity in performance and in achievement. And it's addicting and it's a cruel God to always be striving to be good enough because we never will be. And so there's a lot of shame as well, but there's a striving and an over-striving that comes with workaholics. Uh, some workaholics just want to avoid some other pain in their lives. So instead of working through those relationships and going deep and having healing, they'll just continue to stay at work. That's one option. Another option that's not healthy is being lazy in procrastination and more excuses and then saying you'll do stuff, but then not really getting it done. And that's a warped view of work. Listen, when it comes to work, we have so many cultural pieces that are unspoken and sometimes they are spoke, spoken as well. But think about what we believe so strongly. How many hours should you work in a week? 40 is what people proclaim. I cannot find a Bible verse that said, thou shall work 40 hours in a week. I just, I've been looking to the Bible, can't find it. Here, here's another one. When you think about the rhythm of work, what do we adamantly say in our country? You work five days, you take two days off. You work five, you take two days off. And I'm looking through my Bible, I'm like, where does it say there's two Sabbaths? Uh, so again, what do we say in our country? You work till you're 65 and then you just hit cruise control. You retire and you just take it easy after 65. Where is that in the Bible? And I've had so many people say these things so strongly and I just keep thinking these are cultural. Cultural. They're not in the Bible. I've heard so many pastors that say people in their church, when they turn 65, they get really stuck and stubborn in their preferences and their opinions, and a lot of them just check out and they're very me centered. And I thought, wow, that's not a picture of post 65. And I'm so grateful for the seniors at our church who are not like that, who are running for the Lord and serving and thinking about everybody and just moving with the Spirit. And it makes me grateful for our church family whenever I hear someone sharing. But again, let's reflect, let's think about what we hold to be true and does it really come from the Bible as it relates to work? Now, the rhythm from heaven is to abide with Jesus. 
He's going to guide us when to work and when to rest. And ultimately, our security and our identity is in a relationship with the Lord, not in anything we do, whether it's the job, whether it's religion. We want to be secure and have our identity, acceptance, forgiveness in the Lord because it is finished and the work he did. We have peace with God. And then also we want to glorify God with our work. We don't want to belittle the talents, the opportunities, the gifts he's given to us. And the workplace is often where we spend the most time and we want to shine for the Lord in the workplace. You are sent out as an ambassador for Jesus. When he gives you a job, let's glorify the Lord. That's a healthy picture of work. You say, well, then why do we need a Sabbath? And what's the real purpose of Sabbath? Think of Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Let's take a look at what Jesus points out. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does this mean? Sabbath is from God. Sabbath is good. Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath is given to us to restore. Uh, We're not slaves to the Sabbath, But we say yes to the Sabbath. We say yes to restoration. A Sabbath is a unique 24-hour period where we spend more time with God, intentionally seek him. It's a time of worship. It's a time of renewal and refreshment spiritually. It's a time to rest our minds. It doesn't mean we just sit there, you know, and, and try to eliminate every thought, but it's a time to relax. It's a time to intellectually uh, maybe turn off the work that we usually do the other six days, the rest of the week, and say, no, I'm going to take a break from that right now. It's a time to emotionally recharge. You say, well, what happens if we never take Sabbath, if we reject the Sabbath? Well, you might not notice it the first week or the first month, but over time, you know what happens? People get overwhelmed. People are stressed out. People are burned out. People are grumpy. People are complaining. Why? Because there's never been the refreshment that days set aside to be with the Lord for emotional and physical and spiritual refreshment. It's a gift from God to us. And a lot of times that's when we regain God's perspective, his love for people. We get reminded of our calling and and the vision he's given to us. It happens on the Sabbath in a special way. So why is Jesus talking about the Old Testament and what's this reference to David and what David was doing? Well, Jesus and the disciples were walking through and it was a field of grain and they took some of those heads and yes, between their hands, a little bit of what the religious leaders would say, threshing, and they started to eat the grain. And they were accused, all right, that's unlawful, that's sinners, you sinners. Well, actually they weren't sinning. Going back to the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, I love the grace in the Old Testament. And here's part of the grace, God's plan, that if someone had a harvest, they wouldn't uh, plow all of the field, but on the edges, they would leave that grain for anyone who is traveling, who could just grab a snack as they pass through. Now, these travelers wouldn't harvest the whole field, obviously, that would be stealing, but on the edges of the field, there was grain where people passing by could just take. It speaks to hospitality, it speaks to generosity, it speaks to caring for people in need, it speaks to looking out for people who are traveling and passing through. And that's what the disciples do, and they were walking by, they were eating some of that grain, and now they were accused of threshing on the Sabbath, and they were told, well, that would be a sin. And uh, Jesus knows it's not a sin. So he refers back to the Old Testament in David. What was happening in 1 Samuel 21? Uh, There's a king named Saul who was jealous and envious of David. 
kings that time, you know, easy to be self-consumed, and here comes a threat. The next king's going to be David, so Saul tries to kill him again and again. David's more successful in different realms. Saul wants to kill him. David's on the run. David goes to a city named Nob, and he shows up there starving, and the guy is with him just starving, and there's a priest there, Ahimelech, and this is what happens. The only bread around is called the show bread, the bread of presence. And this consecrated bread, 12 loaves, and these 12 loaves, every Sabbath, once a week, fresh loaves are brought in, and then on that Sabbath, you take the bread, the 12 loaves, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and you take those 12 loaves, and the only people who can eat them are the priests. Now, David and the guys show up extremely hungry. There's no food around. There's just the consecrated bread. And we look at 1 Samuel 21, verse 6. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. And I think of a foreshadowing of communion, that that bread of presence, ultimately communion, that bread that we take that points to the sacrifice and love of Jesus Christ into his body. But this foreshadowing of communion, David gets a yes from Ahimelech the priest, and he's blessed, and he eats the bread, and it nourishes him. Now, Jesus is going to point back to this for a couple of reasons. First of all, Jesus is saying And he's using the Old Testament, which the religious leaders would say, yes, we believe this scripture. Uh, Well, Jesus is pointing out from that scripture that, look, Ahimelech the priest blessed that bread and the eating of that consecrated bread. Why? Because the need was greater than the pettiness. The pettiness is what the religious leaders hold on to and the need. So Ahimelech the priest blessed it. David ate it. What Jesus is saying in essence is, look, if you condemn me, you're condemning David and Ahimelech and the scripture as well. That's what Jesus brings. Now they're processing that, but then here's another level. David was a king. Many consider the greatest king of Israel. But Jesus is the king of kings. David was anointed. Jesus is the Christ. That's not his last name. It means the anointed one. So one with a greater anointing is here than David. He was a king, and now the king of kings has arrived. And yet more deep symbolism. At that time, Saul was corrupt and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, corrupt. Saul was part of a dying dynasty and now these religious leaders, part of a dying dynasty because the true life had arrived. Jesus is there. And all this truth is laid out for them. Ultimately, here's the exclamation point. Jesus says, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Messiah has arrived. The Son of God is here, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they're missing it. They're missing it. Why? Because they have idols. They have an idol of a system of being strict, a suffocating system, a silly system, a petty system, and they miss the Savior. They don't save, savor God, they don't worship God, but instead they've got dead religion and the spirit of dead religion. Jesus sets us free from sin. Jesus sets us free from hypocrisy, from dead religion. Jesus sets us free from today, from the trap of the religious leaders then. And he is the one through a Sabbath, in his teaching on the Sabbath, is guiding our souls to real freedom. That real freedom is found 
in the Lord and in the Lord alone. And the Pharisees are taking this in and there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of tension. You know, we have some tension and you think about uh, our situation right now. I don't hear too much tension and talk about Sabbath, but there's a lot of tension around the virus. There's tension around restrictions. There's tension around reopening. There's a lot of different opinions. All right, let's have a little fun here. A couple of memes and this first one the hills are closed. Some people feel like with these restrictions, I mean, the hills should be open. The hills, you can't be having any singing in the hills if we're doing this right here. And the hills should be filled with singing. So there's one view. Some people feel strongly that uh, too restrictive. Here's another view. And of course, we have freedom, grocery stores, a lot of great stuff. But look, we're not frightened enough yet to eat the tofu. Now, I'm going to apologize to tofu lovers out there. Maybe there's a tofu that's really good. I haven't found it yet. Haven't eaten a lot of tofu. Maybe it's out there. You can email me. You can put your best tofu in the comment right now. But it's interesting. Isn't it kind of revealing when you go into a grocery store and you see, ooh, that's gone, that's gone, that's gone. But there's a lot of this left. I mean, we really see what people like and don't like. And tofu, yeah, there's a lot of tofu still there, folks. Uh, then one more meme to think about, and this is looking forward, all right, think of the reopening. Mrs. Jones got a little too used to watching online worship from home. I see a robe, I see bunny slippers, and Mrs. Jones just feeling at home at church. And when I first saw this, I thought, yeah, that might be a little too much. Bunny slippers, a robe, then I thought, you know, maybe we should go with this. Saturday night service. We could just say, come in your robe. Slippers are allowed. We could open up Grace Cafe and we could have Captain Crunch. I mean, we could have three kinds of Captain Crunch. Raisin Bran if you're healthy. We could have milk in Grace Cafe. I mean, this might work on Saturday night. Some of you, you know, it's like there's days that go by. We don't get out of our pajamas. This might have happened this week. We might have had family kickball at eight o'clock at night. And I might have played in my pajamas. I have never done that before. I hope there's no video evidence. So I'll just leave it kind of murky and say it might have happened. It happened. Uh, and, and we played family kickball. And I thought, what am I doing out here in my pajamas at eight at night? I'll tell you, the shelter in place can do some new things, can do some strange things, and we'll see what happens. But we all look forward to coming back together. This is what I encourage you to do. Pray for leaders. Pray for national leaders. Pray for local leaders. Why? Because we need wisdom. Leaders need wisdom right now on all levels. Business leaders, government leaders, church leaders. Uh, pray as the elders are sorting through right now at our church. What is going to be the plan? And will there be phases? And what are the details? And making some important decisions regarding reopening. And there's a lot of details. Now, all of us, I will say this, all of us want to be together. We miss each other so much. We miss the worship, the family, the conversations. Like we all miss this immensely. But then there's a range of opinions in our church family that I see. And some feel like just open all the doors right now. And then other people are like, we need to think about safety. We really need to think about safety. And so as you consider the path forward, uh, it can sound simple. Just open up the doors. But then think about social distancing. What does it look like in the worship center? What does it look like in the lobby? What does it look like for kids in classes in social distancing? What about singing? I mean, we've learned a couple of things about the coronavirus. I mean, care centers, 
choirs, singing, things can spread. So then masks for everybody? Do we make masks mandatory? Like, what is it? I'm not going to keep going, but this is my point. It's more complicated than it appears. It's complex. There's a lot of details, and we need to be in prayer. Ultimately, let's do this. Let's agree to do this. Let's show each other grace, and let's stay united. Let's not let our preferences bring division in the church on this one, but let's unite together. Let's pray and pray for the elders, making different decisions. And ultimately, we all look forward to being together again. God is giving us patience. He's sustaining us, but it's not an easy time. And we do feel that loneliness and we're looking to Jesus and we're eagerly looking to coming back together. Jesus is always walking in wisdom. He's always walking in truth. He walks with courage and he faces the dead religion. He has conversations here that stand out because they take backbone. To face a spirit of religion takes courage and a backbone. And Jesus isn't going to back down. In fact, look at the second Sabbath that comes and the healing that comes in Luke chapter 6. Starting in verse 6, On another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up, stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. The man with the shriveled hand, Jesus is going to go into the synagogue. I I tell you, he's taking it up a notch. He's going to go into the synagogue And then he's going to ask the man to stand up. There'll be nothing subtle. There'll be nothing hidden. He asks the man to stand up. And then in the synagogue, the man with the shriveled hand stands up and Jesus asks the questions. He says, what what do we do on a Sabbath? Do we do what's good or evil? Do we save and heal or do we destroy? And silence, pregnant pause, tension, Everybody in the room knows the answer is to heal. Everybody knows the answer is to heal the man with a shriveled hand. But looking around, everybody knows the spirit of religion is in the room. And there's the tension. Jesus versus the dead religion. And Jesus makes it public, sets it up, and then asks the man. And the man has to make a decision to receive, step of faith. He has to make a decision to break through that dead religion. Stretch out your hand. He stretches out his hand to receive. And Jesus heals in front of everyone. Jesus heals. It's glorious. But the people who have bought into dead religion are furious. And here's the irony. They're going to start plotting in their minds how they can kill Jesus. Jesus is healing. They want to kill him. Here's the hypocrisy. They are furious that he healed on a Sabbath, but they're fine with killing him. They're fine with murder, but they're furious about this healing on the Sabbath. That's where dead religion takes you. Dead religion brings resentment. It brings a warped perspective. It brings rationalization. And ultimately, it leads to death. It really does. If you have resentment going on, that's a symptom. 
If you have resentment towards other people, any resentment at all, if you're harboring it, that is dead religion. That's a spirit of religion right there. If there's hypocrisy in our lives, then we're saying yes to dead religion. You know, there's one other Sabbath, and I'll just refer to these two verses. Also in Luke chapter 13, look what happens. Verses 15 and 16, another healing. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her? This woman has been crippled for 18 years. Jesus is going to heal her and set her free. And then again, here comes the persecution. Here comes the opposition. Here comes the dead religion. Jesus will get scolded for healing this woman. And he'll be told there's six days to heal, but not on this day. That's the message that the religious leaders bring. But notice what Jesus is doing. He's healing. He's not abolishing the Sabbath. He's fulfilling the Sabbath. The Sabbath is all about healing. The Sabbath is all about restoration. When Jesus brings healing and restoration, he's not abolishing the Sabbath. He's fulfilling it. And they completely miss it because dead religion is blind and stubborn, and that's what they are. So the spirit of religion that Jesus breaks, the spirit of dead religion, we read about at the church at Sardis in the book of Revelation. Here's some symptoms. Because you say, well, it sounds kind of vague. And what is that phrase, this dead religion, spirit of religion? I want to make it real specific, make it real plain. Here's some symptoms that we might have dead religion in our hearts. If you care more about your stuff than you care about people. That's the religious leaders. They care more about their animals than they did the needs of the people around them. If you don't really love your neighbors, dead religion might be having a foothold. Uh, here's another one. If you have massive blind spots in your life, and then if someone confronts you, and then you just have excuses and you rationalize it all, and then you defend it with pride, that's what dead religion does. If you try to contain Jesus... If you try to put him in your box, if you try to limit his healing work, if you try to reject anything radical that comes from Jesus, that's dead religion. If you want to reject the new work that Jesus wants to do and you just want to hold on to man-made rules and old traditions that aren't in the Bible, there you go, dead religion. If you want to criticize and you have a habit of criticizing, if you have a habit of complaining, that's dead religion. If instead of compassion, you find yourself uh, judging others or trying to over-control other people and you love the power moves, uh, that's all symptoms of this dead religion. If you hold back in worship, if you're kind of stingy in worship and you have misunderstandings and you don't really enter into worship, there's some dead religion going on. If you're over-striving, that's what dead religion does. If there's all kinds of self-pressure, that's dead religion overstressed, overwhelmed, a heaviness. And again, a heaviness that's just criticizing people over and over again. All of that is dead religion. Why? Because it's law-centered. It's not Christ-centered. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's man-made religion. And man-made religion does not bear good fruit. And Jesus is challenging it directly. And you say, well then, what's the answer? Where's the freedom? Where's the freedom of our faith if it's not that? 
Take a look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to say very clearly that I affirm every word of the Bible. I am not talking about some unhealthy, random freedom that contradicts the Bible. The Holy Spirit and the Bible always agree, but at the same time, a lot of people will add stuff to the Bible that's not in there, and that's not healthy. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is great freedom. And that's a freedom uh, to enjoy. That's a freedom to celebrate. Uh, This is what God does. He often breaks our heart, the hard ground, the stubborn ground. He softens it. He starts to shake things up so that we'll have a heart that starts to become receptive to the Holy Spirit. We'll have a heart that starts to trust God and say yes to the Holy Spirit. And God will break up that hard ground because awakening can't come when our hearts are hardened to the Lord. They need to be shaken up so that we're humbled and we say yes to the Holy Spirit. And in these stories, you know, the man had to stretch forth his hand. The woman, 18 years, she had, her heart had to open to the Lord. She had to say yes to the Lord. She had to reject dead religion and say yes to the Lord and receive. And that's what I say, reject the dead religion receive from Jesus. Ultimately, you know, what is church all about? We're rethinking this right now. In this particular situation, the last two months, we are rethinking what church is all about. And this is what church is not primarily about. It's not primarily about a building. I'll be thrilled when we're all together, but I know it's not about just opening our physical doors and it's not just about a building. Church is not about a budget although that's often what gets measured, measured closely. That's not primarily what church is about. Church is not about how many people are watching or how many people show up or how many people drive by and let's count them too. That's not, numbers are not what the church is about. Church is not primarily about programs. What are the absolute best programs and how do we make every program better? Programs have their role, they're helpful, but that's not what church is about. Church is not about just keeping every tradition like it was 10 years ago and 20 years ago and just insisting things don't change. That's not what church is about. What is church about? Church is about this deep, healthy relationship, abiding with Jesus. And this is what happens when you abide with Jesus. God fills you with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a freedom that comes. And it's not just for one day on a Sabbath. It's 24-7. There is a freedom that comes for the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you start to drop those unnecessary burdens. You start to drop those silly and suffocating rules that are not in the Bible. And you experience freedom and you stop criticizing and judging other people. You start loving your neighbor and you're sharing your faith. And now you're just living for the Lord and you're alive again. And that's what God wants to bring into our hearts. That's what Jesus was doing then. That's what Jesus is doing now. I want to uh, just really close by honoring moms. We heard Malia's transparent story, incredible story. Her journey, uh, what it's like to walk with Jesus. Uh, her, Her kids, four biological, two adopted, sweet family, and just sharing about abiding with Jesus through different times and growing in her faith. Beautiful picture. And I want to show another picture. And this is also in our Grace family. And this is Irma. Irma has now gone to be with Jesus. And uh, Irma 
she is a nurse caregiver. She uh, got the coronavirus, and she's not with us anymore on earth, but she is with the Lord. And when you think about her life, uh, she has three kids, you know, in our Grace family, three grandkids as well, and she was healthy before this happened. Her family says she trusted God with everything. And her family also says she is at peace. There's a full healing in the presence of the Lord, full restoration. And when you think about Sabbath, there's one part that we look back and we think back to God's plan. We see it throughout the Old Testament. And then into the New Testament, we see God's direction for Sabbath restoration. And then there's a Sabbath right now that God wants us, that rhythm, that heavenly rhythm, and that restoration. But then Sabbath, the book of Hebrews chapter 4, also talks about entering into Sabbath. And we look forward with Sabbath. We look forward to restoration where God promises the presence, the penalty, and the power of sin will be gone. We will be in his presence, the full restoration is face to face with Jesus and in his presence. And we just see his promises are faithful. His power is amazing. His presence, there's nothing better. This is where Sabbath directs us. This is where Irma is now. And this is the goodness of the Lord. The Sabbath, looking back presently and looking forward. I want to give an invitation right now. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, so many people in our country grow up with religion, and it's just something they do. It's a church they go to, and they can do it almost blindfolded. They've done it so many times. They've just had a lot of religion, but you know it hasn't been there? Relationship. And I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask you to do something bold. If this is your first time to really decide to follow Jesus, that it's grace, not earned, not performance, but I'm going to ask you to make a decision to put your trust in Jesus now as your Lord and Savior to follow him. And then here's the bold part. Uh, it can be in the chat room. It can be Facebook Live comments. But I just want you to type in following Jesus. Those two words, for the first time in your life, if it's your first time you're making a decision to follow Jesus, then you just put following Jesus. And our team will know that's your first time decision to follow the Lord, and we will help you. We will connect with you. You know, it's tempting to just not give an invitation for months because we can't be together, but no, the gospel's too good. And this is an invitation to put your trust in Jesus for the first time and just put following Jesus. Our team will follow up. We'll help you grow in your faith. We'll give you some resources. We'll come alongside of you. And then here's another opportunity to respond. I think that's also bold. And it's this. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've let dead religion creep in, it's got a foothold in your life. And you see what Jesus says in this passage, and you say, I don't want it anymore. I want to repent. I want to turn from dead religion. I want to turn to the Lord right now. I want the fullness of his life and the Holy Spirit. Then just type in these words, I repent. Those two words, chat room, Facebook, you say, I repent. And what that means is I'm getting rid of idols. I'm getting rid of a spirit of religion. And I'm running to Jesus, trusting him with my mind, my heart, my life. I want to follow him. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you are good and that we can trust you. Jesus, thank you for the work you've done on the cross, that it is finished. And right now, God, I pray for anyone who's never put their trust in you to make a decision right now for the first time. To say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned and I've rebelled and I've tasted and dabbled in a lot of religion, but Jesus, today I'm starting a relationship with you and I put my trust in you now.
in God together, we see the dead religion in our hearts and how it's unsatisfying, it's crippling, it's stressful, it's shameful. Uh, what it does to us is brutal. And God, we want to repent. We repent of a spirit of religion and judging and self-righteousness. And we say yes, Jesus, to your restoration. Yes to your life. Yes to your peace. As we look to you together, we praise you in your name. Amen.